righteousness, with superiority, looking down on other people, assuming the best about yourself and only the worst about others. He tells us it's a form of hypocrisy, which is why he says in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. This is a person who enjoys actively seeking out the failings of others. This is a person who loves to play God's role as divine judge. This is a person just like me. Commentator Sinclair Ferguson points this out. That we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. You know, you're not wrong for noticing someone else's wrong. Jesus is saying you're wrong for only noticing someone else's wrong and none of your own. I mean, how many times I find myself doing that to my wife? Or to my children, so sure of my righteousness, my just cause, so obvious to me, their flaws, their shortcomings, even in the way that they're handling the argument or the fight or the conversation. We're all guilty of doing this. Don't you see how radical this is? Because Jesus is getting deep into the heart, even underneath surface morality. He's getting to the judgments of the heart, and he doesn't let anyone off the hook. For example, a moral conservative says, but I only judge when the person is actually objectively wrong. Jesus says, even if they're wrong, if you judge them with self-righteousness, with a condemning heart, you're wrong too. And a moral progressive says, see, 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 all those judgmental people out there should just stop judging everyone else. And Jesus says, if you scorn even the judgmental with a self-righteous condemning heart, you're just as judgmental as they are. And don't you see, even your supposed tolerance is hypocritical if you are utterly intolerant of intolerant people. Man, Jesus doesn't let anybody off the hook because he goes deeper to the motives of our heart. Dear friends, today, right now in your life, what's going on right here? Who, who is it easiest for you to judge today? Is it your spouse or your roommate or your family member? Is it your children? Who is it easiest for you to judge? Is it people of a certain personality or a certain group or organization? It, it, could it be Christians or the church? And where do you then see the pride of superiority and self-righteousness driving your criticism? Where do you see it blinding you even to your own sin and shortcomings? Do you see it? Are you beginning to identify it? And then are you starting to engage the real challenge? Because the real challenge is follow-through. What does it look like to actually live this out, to abide by Jesus' words, to not judge as he is instructing us not to judge? 
Well, first of all, this passage provides us with, with wisdom for our personal relationships. It also gives us wisdom for engagement in the public square. First, our personal relationships. In most of our fights with our roommates, coworkers, family members, we generally tend to be absolutely sure that the other person is the problem. It's always them, isn't it? In all conflicts and arguments and fights. In fact, we're obsessed with that. We're so sure of this. Jesus is telling us that in order to resolve conflict in a healthy way, that we need to start by admitting our own contribution to that conflict. Verse 5, he says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. Not first, make sure you make the case logically and clearly. Not first, make sure that they say sorry first. No, first, address that big tree that's impaled your own eye before you turn to them. What that means is look for whatever you have contributed to the conflict, no matter how small, and apologize for it. Look for what you have contributed, even if you think the other person is more responsible, even if you think you're only responsible for 40% of the problem, or 20%, or 10%, identify that and deal with that with your own hearts. Bring it before the person. Own it. Apologize for it. Because the chances are you're guilty of more wrongdoing than you think. Because Jesus is teaching us that we're usually blind to our own sin. And you start to address that 20%. And before you're done, you're realizing you've crept up to 47%. And you started to actually admit that 40%, and before you knew it, you, you, you have your eyes open to the 60 or 70% that actually was yours as well. Jesus is teaching us that we are usually blind to our own sin. Let me be clear about this. He's not saying that your own moral failures will always objectively be bigger than the other person. No, sometimes that's not going to be the case. But what he is saying is that your own moral failures should always look and feel bigger to you than the other person's. Because that's how sensitive you've become by the grace of God to your own selfish heart. That you're a person who's learning the truth of verse 2. Where Jesus says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But what does that mean? Jesus means that if the same standard of criticism that you apply to other people were applied to you, that that alone would be enough to condemn you forever. And a person who understands the judgment of God and the grace of God will become a person that is the quickest to call themselves, as the Apostle Paul calls himself, the chief of sinners and the chief recipient of God's grace. Where you're looking at the other person, and even if you see issues that they have contributed to this conflict, even if you know that in some ways you're wrong, you're always sure in your heart, as far as what my eyes can see, I'm the one that needs Jesus the most. 
I'm the one that has his mercy and needs his grace more than anyone in this room. Is that becoming your confession? Are you more aware of your sin than anyone else's? That's what Jesus is inviting us to grow in. Are you aware of your need for God's grace more than anyone else's? Dr. Ferguson, again, is helpful here. He says, the heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in the judgment of others. It has seen itself deserving judgment and condemnation before the Lord, and yet instead of experiencing his burning anger, has tasted his infinite mercy. Have you tasted the mercy of Christ? Because Dr. Ferguson is right to point out that that's the beginnings of the loosening of our hearts. That's the power and the source of the beginning of the death of our self-righteousness. That pride that plagues us, that makes us so judgmental of others. To know that though I deserve judgment before God, again, even if I simply applied the same critical standards that I apply to all you all, if it were applied to me, that I wouldn't stand a chance, and yet God in his perfect holy assessment of me, seeing all my secret thoughts and deeds and desires, yet still sent his son to take all that I deserve in the justice of God on the cross in his son, in Jesus, in order that I might be forgiven and free of all my sins. So why are you going to judge now? Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye and then address the speck in your neighbor's eye. We're given guidance for our own personal relationships. The second way we apply this passage is that it gives us guidance, I think, also for the public square, how we engage public life as Christians. A couple thoughts here. Whenever Christians call out moral error publicly, I think what Jesus leads us to conclude is that it is vital that they should always do so with the deepest humility, with the deepest sense of publicly identifying themselves as a fellow sinner. Standing together in real solidarity, in shared sinnerhood with fallen humanity. And yet, sadly, that's not what we hear, is it? Not enough anyway. In fact, humility should lead us to call out moral error publicly only very sparingly. More importantly... Christians should always be quickest to confess the failures of the church prior to pointing out the failures of the world. And I'm talking about doing this with genuine introspection corporately and humility, not with a different alternate form of self-righteousness, which actually has become quite popular. Condemning the church is sort of a sport among Christians nowadays, isn't it? Don't forget, you're talking about your family, which is deeply flawed and in need of God's mercy. But how can we critique her, us, publicly, 
humbly. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he gives us good counsel here. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Critique always needs to start in here, within the community of faith. Taking our corporate call seriously to examine the plank in our own eye before we address the speck in the world's eye, however grave even that may be. In this era of political divisiveness, Jesus' lesson on judging, I think, means having the ability to critique your own political party, your own tribe, just as much as, if not more than, you critique another's political party. I recently came across a, a Facebook exchange that I love, an exchange between two Christian friends and two friends of mine, one a Democrat and one a Republican. The Democrat posted a link that he felt illustrated a, a real lapse in judgment by a Democratic group. And his friend commented, I always appreciate your willingness to call out excesses in your party. And I think it's equally important to do the same on the Republican side of the aisle. And he responded, thanks, I try to do that and encourage Christian Republicans to do the same. Help us remember, it, this helps us remember where our ultimate allegiances lie. And I love that last sentence because it's true. If you can't ever critique your own party in Jesus' name, you're revealing that your ultimate allegiance lies with party and not with Christ. Not only is this sort of dialogue all too rare, the act of publicly criticizing your own political party when needed is also all too rare. And Christians, according to Jesus' words, should be the quickest to do so. We could also apply this to different movements related to social, social justice efforts and ways of advancing causes of public justice. There is much outrage over injustice. And it is appropriate. It is the role of Christians to enter into the prophetic calling out of evil and brokenness in our world. But here's where I think Jesus speaks to the matter. People who are only concerned with public injustices but never give any attention to personal injustices of their own heart and of their own lives, Jesus would describe as a hypocrite. That in order to have integrity in the calling out of various public injustices, we need to be the most repentant, humbled people before the evidence of our own individual and church corporate sinfulness and brokenness more than anything else that we speak to, and more than anything else that we call out. Again, as Sinclair Ferguson cautions, to have strong feelings about the sins of others that are not matched by a ruthless dealing with our own sins is hypocrisy. All of this, of course, leads to the importance of Christians growing in a mature understanding of what biblical tolerance really means. Not tolerance as the world often defines it, 
as I described in the beginning of our time together, this belief that, no, never exercise any moral judgment. Uh, no, don't ever dare to say that you might be right and another person might be wrong. Or for that matter, that another person might be right and you might be wrong. No, no. Tolerance. But what does it mean for a Christian to grow in biblical tolerance as they engage the world around us? Biblical tolerance is believing in the truth, but handling that truth with humility and winsomeness. Biblical tolerance is inviting dialogue even when there's disagreement and not being afraid of disagreement. Biblical tolerance is respecting another's view even when they might be wrong. Respecting them. Biblical tolerance is striving to affirm what the other person has right, even when they're not entirely right. Biblical tolerance means being the first one to admit it when you are wrong. Biblical tolerance is affirming a principled pluralism, helping to create an environment where competing ideas can coexist, not as an abandonment of truth, but as a crucial part of the process of pursuing truth. Church, can we help each other to grow in these ways, both in our personal relationships as well as our public engagement of the world around us? Jesus leads us in this direction as he teaches us what it means not to judge as self-righteous, proud, superiority complex-filled, blind to our own wrongs, people. Do not judge, keeping in mind all the while that the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal here is love. The goal here is love. Jesus says, look, deal with that speck in your eye. I mean, sorry, that plank in your eye. Deal with yourself first. Deal with the repentance that you need to engage with in your heart. Humble yourself first. Stop blinding yourself. Rid yourself of that self-righteousness. Come before God, before both his judgment and his mercy. And then he says in verse 5 in the second half, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, he says, it is your obligation to help walk with other people in their wrongs. It is your job to come alongside people and see that they see the truth. It is your responsibility to communicate winsomely and humbly the reality of God and the gospel. These are your responsibilities, but you can't do it. When your heart is filled with self-righteousness. Because you can't love someone with a self-righteous heart. You can't love anybody when you secretly believe that they need Jesus more than you do. You might try to address their issues. But it's tainted by pride. You might try to help them out and convince yourself that that's really the only reason why you're doing this, though it's not. Not realizing that what's really the foundation of that activity is your own ego. Oh, but the grace of Jesus, when he starts to dismantle the pride of our hearts, our vision becomes clear. 
But we believe what Jesus says, that if you actually take that first step to deal with your responsibility in that interpersonal conflict with your spouse or your roommate or your friend or coworker, that 10%, that 20%, that 40%, that maybe by now has grown to be 60%, that maybe you might actually at that point finally be humbled enough to give the other person feedback about how they can grow too, but not until that point. That maybe once you've done the process of what you might call self-purification, of humbling yourself before your own wrongs, before the mighty hand of God, that maybe then your vision might be clear to see what the heart of the real issues of social justice might really be. Or with more clarity, learning how to communicate with more charity and more humility devoid of superiority because all the while you were wondering why no one wanted to listen to you, you see. Jesus says it clears your vision to deal with that plank that you can finally now love, correct, help with a gentle spirit, with a caring heart, with an empathetic disposition. This is what Jesus is trying to push us towards. A truer life of love in a world full of conflict. Don't judge so that you can love well. Don't judge so that you can become more like the one who suffered under judgment that he didn't deserve but in your place, so that what might flow to you is not the judgment that you deserve, but rivers of mercy and grace from heaven. And that if you start to engage with that God, with this Savior, then maybe, just maybe, our hearts begin to turn, and it becomes not just a duty, but a delight to hear the Savior say, do not judge. Remove the plank out of your own eye before addressing the speck in your brother's eye. Then go help them remove that speck for their good, for Christ's glory. Let's do this together, friends. Let's pray. And so we ask Jesus that you would come and do this deep work in our hearts because we're confessing that we are blind to ourselves. That's what you tell us. Help us to see our sin for what it is, humble our hearts, and teach us to love as we have been loved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing these truths into our hearts.